everybody. Welcome to this month edition of the Shepherd's Voice. We welcome you to the program on this uh, April uh, program. And uh, I want to turn it over now to the host, Bishop of Trenton, Bishop David M. O'Connell. Welcome, Bishop. Thanks very much, Jim, and greetings, everybody. Happy Easter season. And happy Easter, right? We're still celebrating Easter Day today, aren't we? Yeah, well, we're in the octave. Yes. You know, in the octave. Uh, octaves are those uh, eight-day periods set aside mm-hmm. throughout the year to uh, continue, in a sense, the uh, the more intense celebration of the feast. It goes along with the ember days and rogation days. You remember mm-hmm. all of those those good things in the church. Octaves right. are certainly opportunities for us. And if you notice in the liturgy at the Eucharist, uh, each day, you know, you you say some of the similar things. You you pray the Gloria mm-hmm. each day during these, uh, during in the octave, and we're moving heading toward uh, uh, the second Sunday of Easter, which is this week. And the Easter season runs from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday, and uh, throughout this time of year, we reflect upon the resurrection of the Lord and its meaning for us. Uh, and the readings, of course, you know, the readings don't follow a strict time sequence. So you go back and forth and different things that you celebrate during uh, during these days. Of course, this Sunday is Mercy Sunday, mm-hmm. and we'll have Good Shepherd Sunday later on in the season. So there, there are uh, beautiful things that we commemorate during this wonderful time of year. The priest wears white vestments at Mass, except mm-hmm. for if there's a a special feast of a martyr or something like that, or a funeral mass. But uh, in general, the white, the Alleluia is back, and mm-hmm. we celebrate so many little elements of the liturgy that uh, went dormant during the season mm-hmm. of Lent. Mm-hmm. I even noticed in the Liturgy of the Hours, we're praying the same psalm this week. This yeah, Sunday, right? every day. Mm-hmm. Every and that's day. just because it's an extension of one one long Easter day. I no, it's true. It's We, we use the, uh, the uh, psalms for the first Sunday of of the year throughout mm-hmm. the season. You know, Holy Week was a beautiful week. Uh, for me personally, uh, it was an opportunity really to get around the diocese. You know, some some bishops uh, stay in the cathedral uh, for this week, and I usually try to spend one day in the cathedral, but the other days of, uh, of Holy Week and Easter in other parishes around the diocese mm-hmm. to, to get to see the people. And I have to say, it was a great emotional feeling as I celebrated to be with people again and to be with people in the setting. Of course, this time last year, uh, the churches were pretty much closed, and the celebration of Holy Week and Easter was uh, confined to uh, TV, to live stream, Mm -hmm. to virtual presentation. And so this was very nice to get back and... uh, see everybody and pray with everybody and lead everybody through the Easter mysteries. On on Palm Sunday, I was at St. Paul's in Princeton, Mm -hmm. a beautiful Mass there, and had the opportunity to celebrate with with the folks there. And then Monday was the Chrism Mass, and we celebrated the Chrism Mass, as we have done for the last couple of years, at the Co-Cathedral of St. Robert Bellarmine in Freehold. And uh, this year, however, we had to restrict attendance because of the social distancing uh, practice. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, uh, roughly 150 priests, which was an incredible 
showing incredible mm-hmm. turnout. Uh, you know, the the attendance of priests at the Chrism Mass has been growing over the years. Um, Chrism Mass is not only the occasion for blessing the holy oils, uh, the oils of the sick, uh, and the oils of the catechumen, but also to consecrate the sacred chrism, which I use throughout the year for confirmation. It's used uh, at ordinations. It's used in the blessing of churches and altars. And so we renew that supply of holy oils and chrism each year, and this Mass serves that purpose but it also is a very special occasion for the priests of the diocese to come together with their bishop and really to express, first of all, the fullness of the bishop's priesthood that he shares with the priests who are part of his diocese, uh, as well as the religious priests who serve in the diocese. So it was a wonderful occasion. Of course, it's toned down a little bit. We didn't have the kind of music that that we usually have, and we were not able to host uh, uh, the deacons and the religious and the laity as we have done in other years, but we did broadcast virtually, live stream, mm-hmm. and and we had a, about fifteen hundred hits on the live stream. So mm-hmm. we we we, uh, we got a, a good viewing of the mass. I always look at this mass in a very special way as my opportunity to really to give a talk to the priest. Mm-hmm. And so I address my homily uh, to them, even making reference, of course, to the, uh, to the uh, oils, but uh, to speak to the priest, a heartfelt message, a message of encouragement, uh, hopefully a, a message that uh, maybe would in, inspires them to, uh, to recommit themselves. And actually there's a, a renewal of priestly commitment that's written into the liturgy of the Mass that day when all the priests reaffirm the commitments that they made at ordination, and I reaffirm my commitment as bishop, and I ask uh, uh, the faithful of the diocese to pray for priests and mm-hmm. to and to certainly pray for me. So that was a beautiful, beautiful Mass, and, and uh, I was very moved by the attendance. And it is said to me that the priests really missed the opportunity to be together as priests of the diocese and religious priests who serve in the diocese. And then uh, the next, uh, uh, my next public gathering was uh, the Mass of the Lord's Supper at St. David the King in West Windsor. And uh, again, a, a pretty full church given the social distancing requirements. I think they spilled over actually into the church mm-hmm. hall where mm-hmm. they had the, had the screens there so that people could watch. Um, and that was a beautiful Mass uh, and a beautiful opportunity to interact with with the faithful there. Friday, uh, Good Friday, I went to um, the cathedral and celebrated the, the commemoration of the Lord's Passion. On Good Friday, of course, you don't have a Mass. Mm. In the old days, it was called the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified. Oh. But it actually wasn't a mass, right? Right. Uh, and uh, it, it's a, a service, a celebration of the Lord's Passion. Uh, beautiful the cathedral, of course, is always so beautiful. And uh, we didn't have a, a large crowd. I was surprised. I expected more. We did the we did the service at twelve noon, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know the doors of the cathedral were locked. Uh, 
uh, most of them were locked. Again, they're trying to, you know, make sure that they're able to take temperatures and do all the things that uh, that we have to do in these mm-hmm. days. Um, but I expected, you know, people from the state house and others to be there as they usually are at the noontime at the cathedral. But uh, it wasn't. It was, a, it was a crowd, maybe about seventy, mm-hmm. but seventy very devout and faithful folks. Uh, and so it was a it was really a privilege to to be with them and to celebrate with them. And of course, on each of these occasions, you know, the bishop preaches, and so it gives me a chance to to share a message with the faithful. Holy Saturday, I went down to uh, Ocean County to um, uh, St. Dominic Church in Brick and celebrated there. Very, very uh, good crowd, mm-hmm. beautiful music. Uh, I baptized two women, adult women, and confirmed five people. So that, of course, was always a kind of a thrilling part of mm-hmm. the of the ceremony. We had to cut, you cut certain parts of it out because right. of the pandemic, you know, right. the blessing of the fire mm-hmm. and the blessing of the, of the holy water font and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So that was very nice. And then, uh, you know, I, I have a house there in, in Point Pleasant, but I decided I was so charged up. And so I said, oh, I'm going to drive back home. So I came back to Princeton mm-hmm. and, uh, and had a very nice Easter Sunday. I celebrated Easter Sunday in my own chapel, uh, and, uh, and enjoyed the day and then, mm-hmm. uh, had dinner and relaxed and rested a bit. We didn't have any, uh, we, the chancery was not open on Monday, so it gave me a chance to do some, some reading and some writing, which uh, is a good thing. So it was a, it was a good, a beautiful Holy Week yeah. and yeah. I'm very grateful for it. Better than last year. <laughs> yeah. Last year, you know, it was a, you know, it was an interesting thing last year. I celebrated the Triduum. Well, I celebrated Easter Vigil mm-hmm. at St. Rose in Belmar. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we did live stream, and it was really just the pastor, Monsignor Arnister, and the curate, Father Chris Dayton, and, um, and myself, and uh, my uh, assistant, Father Jason, was helping me. Mm-hmm. Um, we had sixty-four thousand views yeah. on live stream yeah. last year. Yeah, from all over the world. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, amazing to me. And uh, uh, this year we did live stream from the diocese, so I had uh, the media staff at each of the masses of Holy Week, um, and we averaged about five hundred mm-hmm. uh, hits. But I encourage all the parishes to do live stream. So people could watch their own parishes, right. which if if they were not able to go to mass, so that right. it was uh, all in all a, a very beautiful mm-hmm. Holy Week. But I must tell you, Jim and and uh, everybody listening, it feels strange. There's just a strange feeling yeah. uh, this year, because of, obviously because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. it 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 just doesn't seem. How do I want to say this? It's you know, champion the obvious here, but it doesn't seem the same. Yeah, no, no. and and uh, I think also, Bishop, from the the congregants' point of view, myself included, and I love mass. The masks are very distracting to me. I, I wear them, of course, but it just and and the ropes and the and the blue dots on the floor. It just something just it, it you know it it takes away. I think it's distracting more yeah, than it anything. Does. You, know? you know, and 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 as I said at each of the masses, you know. We all look forward to the day 
and I held up the mask. I yeah. took it off so yeah. I could preach, yeah. you know, because sometimes it muffles with the microphone, sure. you know. Sure. Uh, and you're you're so far away from the congregation, you're you know twenty thirty feet away from the right. nearest pew. Um, but I I I see what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And I took the mask off and I said, "Won't we all be glad to get rid of <laughs> right. these things and be done with all of this stuff?" And I, I'm just hoping and praying that uh, with the vaccination and the other mitigating mitigations that we're practicing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're able to beat this thing sooner rather than later yeah. and, and get back to some sense of normalcy. Of course, you know, in saying that, there are those who say, well, we don't want to go back to normal. We want to have something new and we want to have something, you know, everybody's got something to say. And, um, you know, I, I don't oppose them saying it, but my own feeling is that it takes a long time for social change or cultural change to take place. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've been in this pandemic for over a year. Yeah. I don't think that's enough time really to, to shake normalcy mm-hmm. to the point where there's going to be radical change. We will have to introduce certain changes in our behaviors as we already have. Um, but I'm looking forward to the time when we can, can hang out and go back to, Right. Some degree of normalcy in our routines, our work routines, our school routines, mm-hmm. our life routines, and to be honest with you, that's that's what I pray for every yeah. day. Yeah. Is and there a concern about people returning after once the dispensation is removed? Is there a concern among yourself and other bishops about are are we do we know the people are going to come back? I, I there is a concern, and I think there should be, and I think some people won't come back. Mm. Actually, I don't doubt that they mm-hmm. won't come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've, we've gotten people used to mass on television or on the computer, and it's been wonderful in the sense that in the absence of being able right. to go to church to have these celebrations, especially to see your own parish priest celebrating, reaching out mm-hmm. to the parishioners. But I do think some people just won't come back. Mm. You know, they've gotten used to... Sundays for other things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, already we, we, we do, we do um, uh, uh, what we call an October count right. in the diocese. In October, we figure, is a good month when everybody's back from mm-hmm. Florida and they haven't left to go back to Florida yet. And right. things are... Back into are, a regular routine. School regular started. Routine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we count, we try to take count of... Uh, mass attendance on Sunday in October. Mm-hmm. And that's the number that we use when we, when we have to provide some statistic or, or make some decision based upon numbers. Um, and in more recent years, the, the number, the percentage has been going down. Uh, when I first came, I think the, the published percentage was 21%, 20%, which is the national mm-hmm. average for attending mass right. regularly. And by that, I mean attending mass on Sunday. Right. Uh, uh, in more recent years, the number has been dropping. Did 18, 17%, I think most recently, was the number that I saw. And so even before the pandemic, attendance was, was dropping in church for any number of reasons. People give all kinds of, of I would call them excuses, 
for not attending Mass. Um, some of them are uh, just amazing to me, you know, sports practices for the children, <laughs> which is a huge yeah. factor, and right. uh, uh, other things. You know, it's the only opportunity I have to go shopping and all of that. And, and just the, the realization of the importance of this command, really, to keep holy the Lord's Day and the church's uh, opportunity to provide for the people uh, a community of faith, a gathering of the community of faith, a proclamation of the word, an explanation of that that word, and an opportunity to receive the body and blood mm. of Christ. Mm. But, you know, it, it really maybe shouldn't be so surprising that the numbers are dropping when other studies and uh, research uh, organizations have uh, have surveyed Catholic people, and really only 33% of the number acknowledge the Eucharist as the body mm. and blood of Christ. Yeah. That know. is very, very significant mm-hmm. and very scary to me. Sure. And so you ask, have to ask yourselves, what are, what are they coming back to? Right. Right. Uh, you know, they're coming back to the, to the Eucharist. They're coming back to uh, the mass. They're coming back to uh, community prayer, but it's not drawing them significantly. And the, that was way before the pandemic even started. Right. right. So we in the church, especially those who have leadership positions in the church, really have to do work very, very hard to convince people of the importance of of Sunday. This is just one element of the Catholic life sure. is the worship of it. Um, you know, but Bishop, it's not it's just the priest and it's not just the bishops. You know, the people have to have a, some sense. Oh, of I this, know. I've been know? I've been sharing with my listeners for the past number of weeks from Lumen Gentium on the role of the laity. What the yeah. Council Fathers said it's, it's almost 60 years ago about yeah. what we as lay people and our responsibility, you know, we, we don't leave it up to the bishops and the priests and the deacons that we have an enormous responsibility in evangelization and to, to, to share the, the faith and bring people back in. But you, I'm sure you saw the Gallup uh, survey that was released a week yeah. or two ago where it indicated the, the percentage of individuals that, that consider themselves belonging to a church or a 47%. synagogue. 47%. Drop below fifty, right? And, yeah. and, and first time in since the sur- Gallup started taking. Uh, what 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 intrigued me was that when they started this survey back in the thirties, they were taking the survey every year. It was around 70, 71, 72 yeah, percent, and stayed that way through the year two thousand. So in twenty one years, it went from about seventy three percent affiliation with churches, synagogues, mosques to forty seven percent. It's just in twenty one years. I mean, what? But what has the culture done to people's beliefs? Yeah, and I think this is this is something that we have to reflect upon. Uh, there's been so much going on in the world to diminish belief mm. and diminish the practice of religious faith, uh, and there's been a lot going on in the church yeah. that has affected that as well. You know, people are quick to say, oh, well, it was the sexual abuse crisis mm. involving clergy. You know, well, that's a factor. It's not the whole factor, uh, and it's not the whole story. As horrible as it is, mm. it's a dark uh, black chapter, or bleak chapter in the history of the church, but it's not the whole story of the right. church, mm-hmm. and it's not the whole story of the church now. And, uh, you know, when, 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 there are, when we do detect things like that, situation which is so horrible and so uh, disconcerting and discouraging, 
you know, we have to pick ourselves up and we have to move, we have to look forward and move forward. Mm. And I think the church is trying to do that. Um, some people can't let it go. Some people don't want to let it go. It does provide an easy target and an easy excuse for people. Mm. But I, I think it's deeper than just that. I, I mean, that's a factor. But I think there, there's something in the soul that is starting to, uh, to be diminished. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I, I do think, as you say, I think it's the world around us mm-hmm. and this constant hammering away at, at things that we believe and things that we, the church teaches and has always taught right. and has tried to teach with conviction. Kind of the world is, is, uh, hitting at that mm-hmm. and, and chipping away at little by little. And the passing on of the faith is very sad because I'm sure you know, I'm sure your studies tell you as it regards millennials and, and people of that particular age group who leave the church to stop practicing the faith and they have nothing to pass on to their children. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing then, I mean, we see the, why it's declining in, in such a, a enormous way. You know, it's an interesting point when you mention the millennials or... Not just picking on them, but no, that's, no. that's a generation that after mine that, you know, there yeah, seems to be a d- big difference. Gener- generation X and uh, mm-hmm. all of these other classes of generations of people that have, have you know, I'm a baby boomer yeah. and you are too. That's and right. So coming after our time, these convenient labels that we give to these generations. Right. But, uh, you know, I meet regularly with people from all these generations uh, and they're good people. Mm-hmm. Young people, good people, and they're serious about service, and they're serious mm-hmm. about doing good. And, you know, very conscious of the environment, very conscious of of social justice and things that uh, touch the lives of people. The problem is they don't connect it to the gospel, mm-hmm. and that's that's what that's what we're missing here. The gospel is the thing that for the baptized Catholic pushes us outward mm-hmm. to serve others, uh, to be part of a community, to, to, to hold the community together. Mm-hmm. It's the gospel that is supposed to do that. And when the gospel, when people aren't going to church, they're not hearing the gospel. Chances are very good. Those same people are not reading the scripture. Right. And so they're not attuned to what the gospel asks of us. You know, being a person of faith has a claim on us. It asks us to do something, Mm -hmm. not simply to believe, but to believe and to put that belief into practice in the way Mm -hmm. that we treat one another. So, you know, to answer to your basic question, you know, I I am a little concerned that we are going to lose more. You know, Pope Benedict predicted at one time that we're going to have a smaller more purified church, and that mm-hmm. may very well be the case. I, I I don't think that's you know a goal, right? But I think that's probably the reality that yeah. the church will be smaller, mm-hmm. and the pandemic is not the reason for that, but it certainly hasn't helped. Yeah. And so when we come out of this uh, experience of the masks and all of the the distancing and all that goes with that, uh, you know, what we have left is what we have to work with mm-hmm. and to foster and reach out and encourage. Yeah. 
you know, someone asked me recently, I think it was one of the seminarians, you know, on, on uh, the Chrism Mass in the afternoon before the Chrism Mass, I meet with all the seminarians mm-hmm. and I give them a little uh, talk. We call it a little fervorino, so to speak, encouragement. And, uh, and one of them asked me, well, what, when the dispensation's lifted, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I think I've got to encourage all the parishes to celebrate, mm-hmm. to make a big deal about uh, the fact that uh, things are restored now, as I promised a year and a half ago that they would be fully restored at some point. And we have to celebrate that as a church community and what that will look like and what that will be. Uh, I, I'm not sure at this point, but I'm certainly starting to have those conversations with the pastors and priests of the diocese. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something that I think we're all praying for. I think. Well, and especially with, again, I, I get back to just younger people. My generation, our generation is set in their ways, but it's the younger people, those generations that have come after us that maybe are waning and, and, and fading and walking away from the church. And what and many, in so many ways, you know, in the way they were raised, we receive every week at least letters from listeners who said, please pray for my adult children who have left the church. Yeah, I hear that all the time. That's, that's the I most know. common prayer request we get. And, and p- parents who uh, come to me uh, almost with it, you can tell there's something so heavy on their yeah. hearts, you know, as they approach me. And many times with tears, you know, I tried to raise m- my son or my daughter in the church. And, uh, you know, I used to hear this as a college president, oh, we sent them away to college and they lost their faith. Mm-hmm. You know, the college was responsible. The college wasn't responsible. Mm-hmm. Their faith was as strong as it was when they entered. And if they uh, continued to practice their faith, and you know, it was the same mass they had at home. It's the same right. faith they had at home. Uh, something happened in the course of that. And, and I blame it on the social interactions mm-hmm. more than anything else. Yeah. But I agree with you. You know, every time I see young people you know, I, I, uh, there, there's something about being with young people that is encouraging and mm-hmm. uplifting, you yeah. know, they're, they're fun, they're cheerful, they're energetic. But in these days there, there seems to be kind of a pall hanging mm-hmm. over yeah. some young people. They seem o- overburdened. And I think what they're overburdened with is, are, are the values of this world, which are not really mm-hmm. positive values. Right. And it's it's uh, it's difficult, it's right? Difficult and, yeah, and you know, Bishop, you know that, that, that throughout this Easter season, in our mass readings, we read the Acts of the Apostles, the early church, and I always think there's there's a model for us to look at. You know, what what made the church grow so rapidly? What, what, what of course, the Holy Spirit, but but what were they doing, and what were people feeling to to want to? You know, Peter gives one homily and he gets 3,000 people in one day, you know, so what's, how can we do that? How can we replicate that? Well, the earliest believers, the the community of believers were of one mind and one heart, Mm. we read in the Acts of the Apostles. They were really convinced Mm. uh, about the gospel message and about the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. That conviction was there. And of course, the church was very small in those days, but it spread and it spread throughout the world and it grew and it it became the church that we are today, because as Jesus said, I I you, I build my church upon you. To Peter, mm-hmm. you are Peter, the rock, and I build my church upon you. And the gates of hell shall not be prevail, shall not prevail. We have to believe that. And I say to parents whose children are, are kind of wandered, 
off or stop going to mass. You know, don't don't be discouraged by that. Continue to give the good example that you can. You go to church. You pray. You let the children, your children, see that your faith means something to you. You know, nothing, few things sad me as much as when there's a death in one of the parishes and I hear from the priest that, you know, Mary so-and-so has passed away and she was a daily mass goer and her children are not having a funeral. Mm-hmm. You know, they're having this, uh, you know, a, almost a secular ser- service mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the funeral home. Yeah. And I think how sad that is for uh, a person who spent their life going to church right. and so on. But again, it's the it the attraction to the values of of Catholicism and the values of Christianity. It's just not clicking with some people. Mm-hmm. I never give up on the young. I believe the young are are uh, open. I, I think many times like sponges. Mm-hmm. But you got to show them, and you don't just show them by words. You got to show them by example, yeah. and really, that that is up to us, you know, who have, who are older and hopefully wiser and more experienced, to show them that faith and religion does make a difference in mm-hmm. life, yeah. and to encourage them to to join in sharing that experience. But again, it you know, every uh, every age has its his strengths in every age has its weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something I've noticed. I don't know whether you've ever noticed it, but I've noticed it in recent uh, weeks and months. Of course, you know, with the pandemic, you're home more, you're probably watching more television as I am, you know, more television than I ever watched <laughs> in my life in, yeah. <laughs> the, in the past year. But I've noticed on television programs that when the camera span, you see the people's homes, portrayed in television, there's almost always a cross on the wall. Hmm. Look, see if you can notice that. It's it's not a major thing. The camera's Uh not focusing on it, but as they pan a room, there's a cross by the Hmm. door or a cross on the wall. And I said to myself, isn't that interesting that 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 detail, Mm -hmm. you know, I I preached this in my Good Friday homily this year, you know, uh, the crucifix is everywhere. It's the one symbol that has endured, and it's not a decoration. It's mm-hmm. something that speaks. I can remember my dear mom, God love her, you know, she, she was dusting it, cleaning. We had a cross on the wall, mm-hmm. and every time she would pass that cross, she would kiss mm-hmm. the feet yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. And that image has stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as a priest, you know, we have crosses everywhere, in the sure, rectory, in the sure. houses, and sure. the churches, and so forth and so on. But it's an interesting thing that I've noticed on mm, television. I'll have to look for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. just, just see if yeah. you notice it. Mm-hmm. You see it in the in the various homes, and not necessarily Catholics, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I've noticed I've noticed it on shows like Law and Order, <laughs> or in comedies <laughs> wow. that are on okay. TV. All right, that you see it in in the homes of people. Well, there was a time, and you know. And I know you have a list of things. I don't want to go too far away from your your, your agenda there. I don't have. I don't really don't have a. But um, 
you know, you know, you. Oh, now I lost my train of thought. See, I'm getting his little sign of, of there aging here. I, <laughs> there you go. I don't feel so I, bad now. I was going to go into a. I had a I, so forget that. I, it'll I'll, come back. It'll to come you. back to me. Aye, aye. <laughs> we all go. Don't through get it, old. Right? Don't get old. Oh, what's what's the alternative? Is uh, right? not so attractive. That's right. That's right. So I forgot what I was going to say, but that's all right. That. <laughs> you know, I I after after the after Easter Sunday, uh, on Tuesday I I sent an email out to the pastors of the diocese. And I said, you know, if you have a couple minutes, just let me know how things went mm-hmm. over Easter mm-hmm. and how the attendance was and so on. And I would say, uh, you know, I got uh, maybe a little more than a third of the pastors responded, uh, which for this diocese is good. Um, and the pastors reported that attendance was very good mm-hmm. throughout the diocese. Uh, certainly, several made the comment. It was much better than Christmas, which was good news. And uh, they made a point of saying that all the protocols were observed. And they didn't get complaints from parishioners. Parishioners uh, probably are used to that by mm, now. Right. And uh, as we said earlier, much different than than last year. You know, as as you hear the state announce. You know, the occupancies for indoor gatherings is going up to 50 or 70 percent or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us in the churches because the churches only have so much space. And because of the, uh, the social distancing, there's only so much they right. can use, you know. And early on, I decided that I would I would open the churches to more than the state uh, was uh, prescribing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, we have seen just a, a gradual but a steady increase in numbers. Some parishes reported that they were at capacity. Mm-hmm. Some said they were at more than capacity. Mm. This is with the social uh-huh. distancing. Uh, some said there were standing rooms. Some said they were spilling out to the mm-hmm. outside. And, of course, some pastors, you know, we have some wonderful, wonderful pastors. And, you know, they had outdoor masses. They had... They added masses to their schedule right. just so that they could accommodate people. Mm-hmm. And, of course, most did live stream, uh, as I did for the whole diocese, for anybody who wanted it. So it was it was quite, uh, quite good. I wanted to bring up just something that you mentioned, you know, with the, with the dispensation, which will end. You know, I'm really right now just thinking, when, when is the best time? Mm-hmm to lift the dispensation and return to the uh, the the mandatory attendance mm-hmm. practice that the church has had for over thousands of years, 2,000 years, or almost 2,000 years, let's say, going back to the early councils of the church. Um, the notion of Easter duty. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up, as we did in our generation, you know, and that's how you know you're you're really getting old when you start to say, "Well, when I was when we were when we were boys, yeah. when I was growing up." <laughs> yep. But uh, you know, in addition to the Ten Commandments uh, given by God, and we we read them in the Book of Exodus and the Book of Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. uh, and they oblige Jews and Christians, and they do to this very day. You know, remember the Fourth Commandment to keep holy the Lord's day. The church, in addition to the commandments of God, have have their own precepts, precepts of the church. You know, sometimes when I speak about that, 
people look at me like, you know, like it's, I'm from outer space, you know, mm-hmm. they, they haven't heard mm-hmm. the precepts of the church. And uh, the precepts of the church, in addition to the commandments and the other things, that they bind the baptized faithful. And the, the, the catechism of the church, uh, you know, describes it this way. So the precepts of the church are set in the context of a moral life bound to and nourished by a liturgical life. That's their, their focus. And these, these obligations really are uh, positive laws that are decreed by church authority for the good of the faithful, the individual good and the common good of the faithful. And, you know, I, I think of if I asked uh, what are the precepts of the church uh, to many of the faith, clergy or uh, religious or lay faithful, you know, maybe some would be very hard pressed to to say them the way that we can say the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. memorized for the most part. You know, attendance at mass mm-hmm. that's a precept of the church. Going to confession once a year, especially mm-hmm. if it's serious sin, that's a precept of the church. The reception of Holy Communion. During the Easter season, during the Easter time, that's a precept of the church, and that's where the Easter duty comes from. And, of course, observance of fast days and abstinence and providing for the needs of the church, the material Mm -hmm. need. These are all precepts of the church. And it shouldn't surprise anybody that the church has precepts, special precepts, special laws, because the church is a community of, what, community of faith, Mm. doctrine, the community of worship, prayer, sacraments, mass. It's also a community of law. And the laws help us. They lead towards something. They're not just laws for the sake of laws. Okay? Priests speak of precepts of the church. As I said, most probably are unaware of their existence. Mm. They're not taught, I don't think, for the most part, in religion classes. Mm-hmm. And certainly preached about in formal homilies. But laws are a part of every society, Mm -hmm. and church is no exception. And so when we speak of the precepts of the church, we say, well, who established them? And and when? Well, who established them? The legitimate authority of the church. St. Thomas Aquinas defines laws, precepts, as dictates of right reason promulgated by one who has care for the community. Mm -hmm. The legitimate authorities of the church are the ecclesiastical authorities, and those over the years have developed this system or structure of precepts and laws. Actually, they go back very early in the church, around the fourth century, mm. uh, when the church started to speak about certain minimal expectations of a baptized Catholic, mm. that if they were ignored, they could very well be sin- considered sinful and could uh, bring with them penalties. The notion of Easter duty is... Uh, rooted in receiving Holy Communion because of the very strong, the integral connection between the Eucharist and the Easter mysteries. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Eucharist created during, during the Holy Week. And the Easter duty draws people directly into the Paschal mystery, okay? And so we see these precepts. They have a long history in the church, as I said, we also know that the pandemic, our friend the pandemic, our friend COVID, mm. 
has also introduced lots of obstacles to the practices of the church right. and the, the precepts of the church, especially this notion of Easter duty, certainly has been subject to that. So here in the Diocese of Trenton, this is what I say. This is what I ask. This is what I teach and instruct the faithful. Those who are not prevented or impeded from doing so should keep the Easter duty. You should get to Mass during the Easter season between Easter and Pentecost. Those who do not are not uh, you know, subject to anything the pandemic introduced. Mm-hmm. And that's the majority. Right. Get to Mass, receive communion. If you haven't been to confession and you have serious sin, get to confession. Follow the precepts of the church. Mm-hmm. For those who, uh, who are prevented or impeded from fulfilling their Easter duty because of some pandemic-related circumstance or some other physical disability or situation, infirmity, I give permission to postpone your Easter duty, to postpone it as late as the first Sunday of Advent. So you got lots of time to, uh, to receive communion, to fulfill the, this Easter duty, to fulfill it in church by getting to Mass, and receiving Holy Communion. Or if you can't get to Mass, arrange some other situations. You know, priests do sick calls all the time and bring the Eucharist into families. You make the arrangement with your parish so that you can fulfill your Easter duty. And finally, for those for whom it's impossible to fulfill the Easter duty for some circumstance, you're excused. Mm. Okay? The Church is always practice the maxim, no one is bound to do the impossible. Mm. It's in the church's law. It covers covers a, a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. So if you can fulfill your Easter duty, do it. Right. If you're impeded from filling, fulfilling your Easter duty now or during the usual time, Easter to Pentecost, you have till the first Sunday of Advent to do it, either in church, mm-hmm. getting to church, or making some arrangement with your parish. Mm-hmm. And if you just can't do it, then you're excused from it. And do you think that's sounds pretty? Yeah, and clear I think or? it's yeah, and I think uh, Bishop, it's 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 really. I was as you were speaking, I'm thinking. So there are people who even once the pandemic is quote unquote over, will still be whether they're elderly or have you know underlying conditions, will still be hesitant to go out. Sure. And, and so it's that individual. Heart knows what he or she is doing and why they're doing it between them and God, and 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 I think that they, you know, a, a good form and a well formed conscience will tell you. Sure. And if you really feel that I can't, I'm I'm a, I'm afraid afraid to go or I'm frightened to be in public. Absolutely. Then you know that's an impediment, right? I mean, and it's an impediment mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, God's God's not calling you to be scared to death. Right. God's calling you to receive the fullness of His life in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord. And if you can get to church, uh, you should. Yeah, I'm sure because I'm sure there are people, especially elderly, who in the winter time won't go out on an icy, on an icy day. You don't expect them to go out on an icy day. No, right? And, you know, we have big snowstorms. Sure. You know, when the state is under a state of emergency, mm-hmm. uh, we tell the parishes to uh, to cancel the masses for mm-hmm. that particular day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without any penalty of sin from anybody. Right. And you know what, what many priests have tell me, you know, on those days when, you know, it's 20 inches of snow and it's blowing 
the people who go to mass are the old people, <laughs> yeah, right? The ones who shouldn't <laughs> right. venture out in weather right, like that. Right, right, You know, sometimes people will say in confession, you know, I, you know, I, I missed mass, mm-hmm. and they confess that as a sin. And then if you ask them, uh, was everything okay? Oh, no, I was deathly sick. Well, <laughs> you're not obliged to right. go to Mass if right. you're sick. Right, exactly. And if you can't attend it exactly. for that reason or for some other physical exactly. reason, the obligation, you know, the, the laws pertain to the normal situation yeah. or the ordinary situation, mm-hmm. and uh, adjustments are made for the situations that are extraordinary mm-hmm. or different. Easter duty, folks. Precepts of the Church. Look them up. Well, I'm sure we all learned them in our Baltimore catechism Absolutely classes. Absolutely, right? learned them back and forth. You know, <laughs> right, I remember, sure. And uh, even more than learn them, we lived them. That's right, that's right, that's <laughs> and, right. Uh, if there was any question, you know, we, uh, my mom took care of it. That's, sure right. That we, that's right, we that's right. We did, uh, as I've said on this program before, my dad would pile us into the car every two or three weeks and get to mm-hmm. go over to church, go to confession. Yeah. So we, uh, we fulfilled the Easter duty. Mercy Sunday's coming. Mm-hmm. Great, uh, beautiful occasion. You know, when you think about what, what is mercy, is there anything, anything, any more powerful expression of love than showing mercy? Mm-hmm. You know, such love reflects, and I think this is why the Holy Father, Pope St. John Paul, uh, established it for this Sunday mm-hmm. coming out of the Easter octave, uh, the octave of Easter, and uh, it, because it really reflects the passion, death, and resurrection, which is the total sign of God's mercy and love for us. He gave mm-hmm. his life for us. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote in uh, I wrote a pastoral letter a couple of years ago, and for the three people that read it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wrote there, the mercy is the love freely shown to us by God, who first reveals himself to us and makes known his presence makes his presence known and felt. We don't earn mercy. We don't deserve mercy. We don't have a right to mercy. Mercy is a free gift of God that, when given, draws us into God's very being, making God present to us, and then through us, making God present to others. And that's what mercy is. You know, for the past 21 years, I think, I think it's 21, Catholics throughout the world have celebrated this Divine Mercy Mm -hmm. Sunday on the second Sunday of Easter. And originally added to the church calendar, as I said, by Pope St. John Paul II, uh, Divine Mercy Sunday is based upon a private revelation of the Polish nun, sister, now St. Maria Faustina Kłoska, who lived at the beginning of the 20th century. And she wrote a diary. She kept a diary of these revelations And in one of those revelations, the Lord Jesus himself, she said, uh, asked her uh, or told her that it was his desire uh, that mercy, divine mercy, be solemnly celebrated on the first Sunday after Easter. Mankind, the Lord said, as as, uh, Faustina quoted here, will will not have peace until until it turns to my font of mercy. Mm. And so it's a special occasion, a special opportunity for us to focus on the mercy of God at Mass and in our prayers during the day. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with the chaplet of mercy. Oh, sure. In fact, I, was, I have the diary right there. It was, again, oh, yes, wow. yesterday I was sharing with the listeners a, a particular passage in here that Faustina said the Lord revealed to her 
a conversation between the merciful Lord and a despairing soul mm. that that whatever it is, nanosecond of transition from death to where the Lord will offer his mercy to the soul. The soul is despairing. And it's a beautiful passage. Yeah. And it gives great hope, uh, especially for people who have lost a loved one or a friend who they feel may not have been in the state of grace or may have been, you know, lived a life that was not uh, a good one. And they worry about the sure. where the soul is. So it's a beautiful passage and just expresses how, how beautiful and how the Lord wants to give us the grace of his mercy. Yeah, and I think that's true. You know, it's interesting. You have the, the diary there. So many of these books, um, the spiritual books from over the years, and some of them very old mm-hmm. writings, you know, my pastoral letter on the presence of God. You know, the what I'm focusing on there is a little book by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection mm-hmm. uh, about practicing God's presence in simple ordinary, everyday moments mm-hmm. of our lives. And it's interesting. I read that book, you know, I was a, a novice back in the early 70s in mm-hmm. the seminary, uh, and it never left me. Mm-hmm. I've always come back to that book, and I just felt that I wanted to share it. So it, there are some beautiful oh, lessons that you th- learn. There are, absolutely. And, and it to, is private revelation, but as you said, the church has deemed it worthy of belief. Well, and, and so, as Pope Benedict has said, you know, these private revelations give rise to liturgical celebrations yeah, and yeah. belief in the community. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what happened here. This year, as we know, is the year of St. Joseph. Mm-hmm. You know, Ro- Rome is, seems to have a habit of uh, piling <laughs> on. <laughs> year, after, year of, year of, year right. of. And, and in addition to the year of St. Joseph, uh, the Feast of the Holy Family this year, Pope Francis has declared this the year of the family. Mm-hmm. And by no small coincidence, it's the fifth anniversary of his encyclical letter, Amoris Laetitia. Um, and he asks uh, that we commemorate the love uh, of family life mm-hmm. and to do that in as many and as beautiful ways. And here in the diocese, uh, on our website, Diocese of Trenton, one word, slash Year of the Family 2021. We have a whole host of things that we're recommending to folks to commemorate and to celebrate this Year of the Family. Mm. Uh, beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, you know, there's reference, there was a, a link there to the encyclical itself, mm-hmm. there's certain suggestions, family celebrations, and things that can be done. Now it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that the uh, that the folks in the diocese and the office of family life uh, have put together for us. You know that encyclical, Amoris Laetitia, five years, of course. You know it was issued on the solemnity of Saint Joseph uh, five years ago, and it, what it did was it brought together kind of the the results of some synods, two synods. Uh, the 2014-2015 Synod, Mm -hmm. and it took into account a lot of conversation and discussion and so forth and so on. The Holy Father brought it together. And uh, one thing the Pope says there, no family is perfect. Mm. Is that news to anybody out there? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) No family drops from heaven perfectly formed. The family needs to constantly grow and mature in the ability to love. And so this year the family is designed to help people to reflect upon that and to realize all the circumstances and dimensions of family life that are part of that process of growth. Uh, 
you know, Amoris Laetitia, of course, as some will know, some listeners will know, you know, there were some concerns and questions about things that were contained in a footnote. Mm-hmm. That it, you know, it was the only thing that got attention. The rest of the encyclical uh, completely ignored. Completely ignored. <laughs> just this footnote about uh, you know the possibility of communion for divorce mm-hmm. and remarriage. I remember so well the controversy. Uh, give it a chance. Read the encyclical for yourself. Right. It's not that long. Right. Uh, I read it this morning again just to reacquaint myself with with it. It's a lot of beautiful things to think about mm-hmm. in the encyclical. Yeah. Back to the pandemic. We can't get away from this, Jim. <laughs> and, and the vaccines. Uh-huh. You know, the controversies still rage. You know, there are some websites and bloggers that insist on, uh, right. you know, yeah, doing kind of uh, accenting the negative, mm-hmm. I should say. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, President Biden this week, uh, you know, I almost never mentioned the president by name, but President Biden's, you know, quoted Pope Francis saying this was a moral obligation. And I just want to say to the folks, that's not true. It's not a moral obligation. The Pope didn't say it. The Pope did not say that. Mm -hmm. The Pope said charity and common good encourage people to receive it as I do, Mm -hmm. but it's not a moral obligation. And just because uh, some politician or some government official says that the Pope said it does not mean that he did. Right. And in this case, he didn't. And the Vatican has denied that he said it was a moral obligation. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a good thing to think about. Uh, you know, probably pastoral changes are coming. Uh, you know, that's always a fun time for me. I get the letters <laughs> and, oh, why did you change our right. priest? Change is a part of the priest's life. Right. We're closing a parish, sadly. This is Christ the Redeemer in Mount Holly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've announced the closing of Trenton Catholic Academy. That was an initiative taken by the school and not by the diocese. But there have been some groups that are trying to make a go of it as an independent Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And so we've given them permission to do that. Okay. We pray for Prince Philip. God rest his God soul. God rest his Died soul. Today. Right? Yeah, yeah. Hans Kung, mm-hmm. the yes. great theologian and dissenter, mm-hmm. he passed away. Uh, and so there is some, some things on our mind these days and certainly... Whether we like these people or not, we should pray for them. Pray for, pray them. for the rest of their souls. Amen. Amen. Pray for all of us in the season of resurrection. Happy oh. Easter to everyone. Thank you, Bishop. God bless you. See you next month. Okay.